Matthew chapter 13, verse number 1. The Bible says, The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and he sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other, I like that next word, but other fell unto good ground. And brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who have ears to hear, let him hear. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for the privilege we have, uh, Lord, to be born here in America. Lord, to be able to hear the gospel, to get saved. And Lord, the privilege we have of being able to take that gospel to other people. And I pray that you would take, uh, Lord, this text today and challenge our heart. I pray that today there'd be nothing said that would lift me up in any form, in any fashion, but that you would be exalted. I'm so humbled and I'm so amazed, God, that you would take, could take me and use me. Lord, I'm amazed at what you'll do when people are just willing. And I pray that you take your people today and challenge them in your word and we'll give you the praise and glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can be seated. Here in Matthew chapter 13, in this parable, he goes through, and, and there's three aspects of this parable that you normally look at when you're looking at this text. You'll find that he's dealing with the sower. Uh, of course, he deals with the seed. Of course, the seed Jesus goes through and explains to us is the Word of God. Then you'll find he deals with the soil. And the soil is the different types of ground. And that's, he explains to us is how man listens and receives, how he hears and receives the truth that's been sown by the sower from the seed, the word of God. Now I used to say, and I used to say that this parable would be rightly called the parable of the soil instead of the parable of the sower. Uh, but I probably read that in a commentary and it probably sounded good, I guess. But Jesus said over in verse number 18, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. Jesus called it the parable of the sower, so perhaps we should just stick with that, you know. Because though the seed is very vital and very important, and though the soil is very important as well, this parable is about a sower. It's about a sower because there'll be no one listening and hearing. There'll be no seed being sown unless there is a sower that's willing to go and to sow that seed. Now the Bible tells us here in in verse number 1, the same day went Jesus out of the house and he sat by the seaside. Now here he is, he's on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Now the Sea of Galilee is not that big in in reality. It's only about 13 miles long, it's about 8 miles wide. And it don't matter where you're at on the Sea of Galilee, you can pretty much see all the way around it. We live just about 10 miles as a crow flies from the Sea of Galilee and just up in the north. And, and, and in the mornings, I like to drive down just down the road just a couple of miles and I'll, I'll park my car and, and, and I'll hike up this mountain. I'll, I'll go up through the woods and I've got a flashlight and I'm walking up through there in the dark. I'll hike about 20 minutes up on the mountain there. And, and I, I like to get up there and read my Bible and, and pray as I watch the sun come up over the Sea of Galilee. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. To me, it is one of the most beautiful sights in all the world. 
You know, Mark Twain wrote about the Sea of Galilee when he traveled through there, and he said it was one of the most barren, desolate lands that he's ever seen. But I tell you, once they came back into the land in 1948 and God began to turn the spigots back on, the blessings of that land began to just explode. Today, it is a lush, beautiful land. Up in the north, we've got waterfalls up in there. There's trees around the Sea of Galilee. You'll find banana orchards up through there. Uh, You'll find, I mean, it's just the fruit is in abundance all up through the north. Our olive trees in the north are some of the best. Matter of fact, every olive in Israel is considered an extra virgin olive oil. That has to do with the acidity within the olives. They're all so pure and so good. I mean, it's, it's, it's a beautiful land. Well, here they are on that north side. And and the Bible says there in verse number 2, And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and he sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Now, again, there in this north area, Jesus did the majority of his miracles on that north side of the Sea of Galilee, between the cities of Chorazin and, and Capernaum and Bethsaida. All those three are in the north area. So here he is somewhere, probably just, I would say, just left of the city of Capernaum, I believe. I believe there's an old ancient city that's uh, uh, old uh, uh, Old Testament city up in that area. I believe they were probably right in there. That's just that's just what I think. But anyway, could be wrong. But here they are, and there's so many people sitting on that mountainside that Jesus gets into a boat and he goes out into the water, and he says, "This, behold, a sower went forth to sow." And I believe there was probably that morning in the midst of all the multitude of those people. There was probably a sower out there in those fields sowing some seed. You'll find many of the areas that Jesus goes in. He will use an illustration of that area to illustrate truth that he's trying to teach. And there was probably a sower that morning out sowing those seeds there in in the fields. And I began to think about this sower this morning, and I thought about the the duty of this sower. Notice in verse number 3, the Bible says, He spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And I thought about that word, went. And I thought about this sower and the responsibility that this sower had. It was to go. It was to sow that seed. You see, there at the Sea of Galilee, I've seen it at times where it's very rough. The waters are, 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 are high. I've seen it where uh, some waves are in the midst of that Sea of Galilee. But I've seen it when it's just as calm as glass. And I'm telling you, there's just something. We've got a lake up in, uh, close to where we're here in the States. And, and I, I like driving. Sometimes I'll drive across it early in the mornings. And, and I cross that lake. And, and there's times it's just like glass like that. And you know the first thought, Brother Chris, that comes into my mind when I see that? It'd be a good day to go fishing. I thought about, man, boy, I look, I look at that steel water and I just want to go. Something about my flesh that just says, maybe a good day to go fishing. I don't know how it was that morning with that sower, but he could have went out there that morning, watched that sun come up over the Sea of Galilee. He could have been sitting there and it could have been still as glass. And the thought might have came into his mind, it'd be a good day to go fishing. But you see, the sower has a responsibility. And the responsibility of that sower is to get that seed in the ground. You see, he will never reap a harvest. He will never see the blessings of all the toil that he has done unless he's willing to get out and sow that seed. Do you realize the amount of work it took to get your ground prepared? You see, it's not just like taking a plow and digging some dirt and and, and throwing some seed in it. 
You see, those mountains are hard bedrock. You have to go through and literally chisel out the mountainside, making it terraced. Those old, those old terraces that you can see still going back to biblical days, those terraces, they have found them as, as wide as six foot wide, uh, or as narrow as six foot wide, all the way up to 30 foot wide. And those terraces, to make those terraces, you literally will go through and chisel out the ground. You will drive, preacher, you'll drive wedges on all four sides of whatever size stone that you're going to be pulling out. And then you're going to put wooden wedges inside those and soak them with water. And as, the, as those wedges expand because of the water, it splits the stone. And you could get stones from this size to stones that are 45 foot long, 15 foot thick. 750 tons and that's what you can see down in Jerusalem when you do the uh, go underneath the western walls and you look at the stones that they cut, picked up and moved and stacked on top of one another. I mean, it was a lot of work. You would take those stones and build your houses with it. You would build your stores and all those things. We don't have a lot of wood over there, but I tell you, we grow rocks over there. I mean, there's rocks like you wouldn't believe. They're everywhere. I mean, abundance of rocks. And so you would, you would go through and chisel out that ground. And, and then once you got it terraced off, you're going to take small stones and you're going to build a rock wall across that terrace. And across that terrace, those stone walls would go up about three to a couple of feet, two to three, four foot. You're going to take on the bottom of that stone and you're going to, on the ground and you're going to put a line. That's going to be like a concrete when it gets wet. And you're going to put that line base down. And then you're going to go all the way down into the valley. And you're going to, you're going to take donkey load after donkey load of topsoil from the valleys and bring up and lay in the midst of that ground. I mean, it took a lot of work to get that ground ready. It was not easy to, uh, to get a garden. It was not easy to be able to do that. And I'm telling you, you, might, you may own one of these terraces. You may own two of these terraces, depending on how big your family is. There could be several people owning terraces along that mountainside. And in order to you to get to your uh, ground and for somebody else to get to their ground, you had a common pathway that led up in the midst of it. You see, Jesus is telling us here about this sower that some seed fell by the wayside. That is that hard path, uh, path, pathway that leads up through the midst of it. And I'm telling you, listen, when you look at this sower and you see his responsibility, we notice also the decision that the sower had in verse number four. The Bible says, and when he sowed. I thought about that word when. He didn't have to sow that morning. But he chose to sow that morning. He didn't have to get out and tell somebody. We don't have to go out and preach the gospel. But I'm telling you, it is a choice that we have to make. I'm telling you, you don't have to serve God. But it is a choice that you will make. I'm telling you, the Bible says, and when he sowed. You see, that seed is no good if it's left in the bag. I mean, he could walk with that seed in his bag through the midst of that field and he could, he could brag, oh, look what kind of field mine looks like. I ain't got no thorns in mine. Mine has no stones. I've got good soil in the midst of... I mean, he could have bragged all day long about how great his field was. But I'm telling you, that seed will do no good if it's left in the bag. I'm telling you, you can walk out these doors here and as you're walking across that hallway, heading out those outside doors, you've got a gospel track rack out there. And I'm telling you, they're beautiful tracks, but they'll do no good just looking pretty hanging on a wall. They'll do no good unless you take the seed and you get the seed out. The seed's no good. 
left in the bag. I thought about the decision that he had to make. I thought about the direction that the sower made. Look what the Bible says there in verse number 4. He says, and when he sowed, watch, watch this next word, some seeds fell by the wayside. I love that word some because you know what it means? Not all of it did. You know, he got out and began to sow that seed and some of that seed fell by the wayside. I mean, he's walking up to his, to his ground to sow and, and no doubt some seed slipped out of the bag and it fell on that wayside pathway. Again, it's all bedrock up through that northern area of Israel. And I mean, that, that, that seed is not going to grow on that pathway that everybody's constantly traveling on and walking on. But some of it fell there, but not all of it did. And I'm telling you, when you start sowing the seed of the word of God, we have no idea where it's going to fall. But we have a responsibility to sow. And I thought about the direction. You know, the psalmist, or uh, in Isaiah 32, he says this, Blessed are ye that sow beside all waters. What's he saying? Just get the seed out. Just sowing beside all waters. You know, if we're not careful, sometimes we can look at people and judge that person by looking at them on whether or not we should sow or not sow? You ever done that? You probably never have, and I know I have. I remember one time I was in Baltimore. I had a guy up there, he goes, I want you to take me out on the street and, and teach me how to witness to Jews. I said, sure. So we go out on, on the Sabbath day. We're walking down through there. Now, Park Heights Avenue on, in Baltimore, we've got about 20 synagogues on Park Heights Avenue. Some of these synagogues are 13, 1,400 family. Not people, but family synagogues. They look like universities, some of these do. I mean, some of them are massive. And we're walking down through there, and there's Orthodox Jews walking up and down the streets. And, and I remember this one, I saw him walking. He had the big furry cap on. You ever seen him with a Russian-looking fur cap on? He's got the long black jacket and the white socks. And I've got the long, I call them curly fries. Don't call them curly fries. You call them curly fries, you may get a mitzvah in doing so, but, but they call them payas locks. And so he had the long, long curly fries on, and, and so he looks over and he goes, hey, he goes, there's one, let's go talk to him. Brother Chris, in my flesh, you know what I said? I don't want to. You know why? Because I know how this is going to go. I know how this guy is going to respond. I mean, I know as much about Judaism as most Jews know about Judaism. And I'm, I'm sitting there looking at this guy, and I'm thinking, yeah, this is, this is going to go ugly. This is going to go real bad. But I had to act brave because I had this guy with me, you know. And so I walked over, and I, 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 I said, excuse me. And I began to talk to the guy. I said, you a rabbi? And he says, yes or no. And, and, and we began to get into a conversation. And I'll tell you, in my mind, I'm thinking, this guy's not going to listen. But you know, 45 minutes later, after opening the Bible to this guy constantly, open, what about this verse? He was sitting there, and preacher, I couldn't believe it, how open this Hasidic Jew was. He'd sit there and he'd go, I don't, I don't know that verse. I need to talk to my rabbi. I mean, it was just, you see, in my mind, though, I'd already said, listen, this guy's not going to listen. You know, I looked at the ground and said, that ground will not receive the seed. But you see, my responsibility is not to determine what the seed looks like and whether the seed is ready. My job is to sow. You see, the sower went forth to sow. Our responsibility is to get the seed out. We don't know what kind of ground it's going to fall. Some will fall by the wayside. Not all of it will. I'm telling you, we got over to Israel, and I'm telling you again, I was like a fish out of water. I got over there, and you get into, if you've ever been to Israel, you'll find you can get around speaking English really well in most places. But you get up in the country where they've learned it and they don't use it, they lose it. And I'm telling you, we got up there, we're in Kiryat Shimona, and we're, we, we come walking down towards the post office down there. The post offices in Israel is like anything you've ever seen in your life. 
You can go in there and you may never come out again. I ain't kidding. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just, it's, it, it's just unbelievable. I mean, you can literally go in and spend hours. It's the most chaotic thing I've ever seen in my life is the post office in Israel. Here we are. We're out in front of the post office. People everywhere. And we went walking up, me and this Israeli, we come walking up to this, this rabbi sitting on this little three-wheeler scooter and he's talking to this other Israeli guy. We walk up and, and, uh, and we go, uh, you know, shalom, boker tov, hello, good morning. We, we go to give him a track and that rabbi takes that track and he looks at it and he, and he looks at it and when he realizes what it is, he, he kind of throws it back at us. Well, the guy with me, he, he grabs a Hebrew Bible and he opens that Bible up and he tries to show the rabbi this, uh, some verses in the Old Testament. And that rabbi started screaming and yelling and he grabbed that Bible and shut it and pushed it back at us. And he's going, lo, 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 that's no in Hebrew. And that guy with me told him in Hebrew, he goes, what are you, scared of the Bible? Aren't you a rabbi? Are you afraid of the word of God? You see, some seed fell by the wayside. But that other Israeli that he was talking to was sitting there watching this preacher and laughing. He thought it was the funniest thing watching this rabbi screaming and yelling at us. And he looks at me and he goes, Ten Lee, give me one. And here's this other guy. He takes a New Testament. He takes a gospel track. I'm telling you, listen, some seed fell by the wayside. But not all of it did. What do you do? You just sow the seed. You just get the seed out. You just keep sowing the seed. Man, we started writing gospel tracts and, and we started doing all kind of different tracts over there just trying to saturate the place with the gospel. We did this one here. This was one I wrote called uh, Esur in Hebrew. It's forbidden. And it says what the rabbis don't want you to know. Well, the area that we were in, there's not a whole, whole lot of religious Jews, mostly secular Jews up there. Man, they loved it. Oh, they were eating it up. And so, they, so the rabbis up there, got, they got so mad at us doing this track, that they run a newspaper article warning people about us. We had this one here. Lady that started coming to church told me about it. She says, yeah, I saw that in the paper. I'm like, what are you talking about in the paper? She says, yeah, it's in the paper. She went home and got it. And it says here in the paper uh, with that picture of that gospel track, and it says, if you've got this in the mailbox, throw it away. Don't read it. And I thought, man, what good advertising. I mean, because it says what the rabbis don't want you to know, and they're telling you to throw it in the trash. And so, man, it was great. I mean, we're just getting, we're just, what are you, we're just all kind of tracks. We did this one on the, uh, the uh, answer to anti-Semitism. We just did that in English. Just got these in the other day. Brother Goins down here just printed these for us the other day and uh, started saturating the north with these things, trying to get them out. Here's one I did on the Feast of Purim. But then we did this one. This one was hilarious. We did this one. There's so many atheists over in Israel that we did one called the Atheist Test. Now, we didn't write this one. We just translated it. And so uh, it was funny, we had this one guy coming to church that he was an atheist. And he just started coming to church and, and he had argued with me on everything. And finally, we, we had this ready to send to the printers. I said, Leoris, I want you to read it. Tell me what you think. And so he starts reading it and he reads the first page and he gets mad. He throws it down. He goes, this offends me. I said, why does it offend you? And he goes, because you're saying if I don't believe this that I'm autistic. Now he speaks really good English. And uh, I said, what? He goes, yeah, it says an autism test. I said, no, no, it's an atheist test. He goes, no, that's not what that says. He said, that says autism. It's not atheist. He said, the word for atheist. And he tells me that we translated it wrong. And I think, oh, man, I'm glad you read that because that would have been bad, you know, if we said that. He goes, oh, that makes sense. He goes, let, let, me, let me see it again. So he starts reading the second page, and he goes, it still offends me. He throws it down and walks off. I said, well, thank God it works. Amen. And so what are you doing? We're just sowing the seed. What's the big deal about these gospel tracts? Why do you get out these tracks? Why give them out? Why? Because they possess life within them. That's right. 
You see, it's the Word of God that's within them. It contains life within them. Not only it possesses life, but it produces life. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. What are you doing? Just getting the Word of God out. You never know where that seed is going to go until you're willing to sow it. And so we just start getting it out. Again, some of it fell by the wayside. We just start putting it out. We had, we had, uh, we had, some, Arabs, uh, and, uh, had some Arabs get saved. And so we did an Arabic track. I didn't even bring my Arabic track up here. Well, it's a good thing I got this one. Because we tried to run it in a newspaper article. And so the Arab guy that got saved works for three newspapers. He said, I can put it in a newspaper. And so he did. He did that whole track that I did in Arabic and put it in the news. It cost me $500. 300,000 Arabs could have read this in the paper. What are you doing? You're sowing. I don't know where that seed went. I don't know where that seed went. Well, I heard the testimony already this morning, you know, about uh, some people getting saved. And then uh, and one day at the judgment seat, they'll realize, but they don't know it. I mean, if we just knew all the times that the seed we've sown and what God has did with it, there is no telling. That's right. I remember I was in a, uh, uh, getting ready to go into a missions conference in West Virginia several year, four or five years ago. And a pastor called me walking in. He goes, hey, I was up at a Bible college up in, up in Connecticut. And he goes, the, the pastor there had to, uh, one of the uh, college's singing groups get up and sing. And he, then he told him, he goes, can, can y'all give you testimonies? And one of them said, yeah, I was walking through the Boston Commons. And he said, it was this tent setting up. And he goes, and I go in and I sit down and I hear some preaching. And he goes, and, I, and, and, and afterward, one of the preachers came down and sat down with me. And, 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 and I got saved and, and uh, began to go through the Bible with me. And, and, he, and he, t- he said, it was, it was me that did that. And it was our tent meeting that we do in Boston. And now he's called to preach. I thought, wow. I wonder how many of those stories I've never heard before. How many of those stories you've never heard before? But because you were willing to sow, because you were willing to, to sow that seed, there's no telling what God would do. And we just start sowing, just start getting it out. It's funny. I think we were like, preacher, it was probably the second day in the land. And we go down to the post office and the other uh, brother is mailing tracts out. So he's, we're going to mail out tracts through all the northern part of Israel. It costs us three cents a copy to mail out a gospel tract through the north. And so he would go in and, and, and he was in there for, no kidding, three hours mailing these tracts out. Me and my son Daniel standing out there passing out tracts. And, and uh, you know, most people would speak English to us. And I remember I asked him, I said, listen, I said, what do people normally say when you try to give them a track? He says, they'll say, maze. What's that? Got that, maze. I said, what do you say back to him? He goes, just say zetov. It's good. Maze, zetov. No problem, I got that. And they did, man. I'd be handing them out tracks. They'd say maze. I'd say, oh, zetov. It's all right. And they'd smile. They'd take that track. And then I had this guy one time. He started saying this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what you're saying, buddy. He didn't teach me that. And he just stands there looking at me like I've lost my mind. And I'm standing there like, just take the track. And he's looking at me saying stuff in Hebrew. And I'm going, buddy, I don't know what you're saying. I have no idea. English. No English. And he just kept, it seemed like five minutes. It was probably only a minute or so. Finally, my son Daniel comes walking over there. And he walks up and the guy says, Kamaze ole. And Daniel says, oh, zot matanan. He goes, oh, todah rabban. He shakes my hand, grabs the track, and walks off. I said, good night. I said, what in the world did he just say to you? He said, he's asking you how much it cost. He said, I told him, it's a free gift. And he goes, oh, thank you very much. And he took it. And I'm like, boy, where in the world did you learn that? You know, I, I couldn't believe. He was like a sponge with language. I mean, it just blew me away. 
And so I said, you got to stay a little bit closer to me, you know. And so, man, we had these others coming by. And one guy, he said something. And I said, and Daniel got over there and didn't know what he was saying. The guy took the track and walked off. Well, a few minutes later, probably 10 minutes later, I see him come back. And there's four of them. And I thought, and they're holding that track. And they're all standing there looking at us, talking. I said, surely one of them speaks English. I said, let's go, let's go talk to them. So we go walking over there to talk to them. And not a single one of them spoke English. And I'm like, oh. And we're trying to, I'm trying to explain to him. And, and again, I know a little bit of Hebrew, but it was just so broken. And, and uh, we were struggling. And there was people, I mean, you couldn't hardly walk. The, the, the mob of people walking in and in, down behind us. And finally, that guy reaches in the crowd and he asks, grabs this guy in the crowd. And he goes, I'm talking about a Baron Gleet. You speak English? And the guy said, can, can, yes. And so he pulls him over to us and he goes, what are they saying? And the guy looks at me and he says in English, he goes, what are you trying to show him? And I had this Hebrew Bible, this Old Testament here, and I said, I'm trying to show him how Jesus is the Messiah spoken of in the, Old, in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament. And that guy took that Bible out of my hand. And he started in the book of Bereshit, the book of Genesis, and he started preaching Jesus to him. And I mean, he started running through that Bible just, I mean, for the next 15, 20 minutes, pulling out prophecy after prophecy, preaching Jesus. And man, they didn't know what hit them. They just stood there like, they didn't know what to say. So we all start walking to the parking lot to get in the car. And, and the guy, he opens up the driver's door. And I open up the passenger door and pull the seat up. My son Daniel's climbing in the back. And they're looking at us like, why are they getting in the same car? What they did not realize is the guy that they grabbed was the other guy that was with us. And he didn't even see us, but they grabbed him and pulled him in the midst. And we just act like we didn't even know each other. And I mean, we just went with it. We laughed all the way back to the kibbutz. I'm telling you, it's hilarious. I'm telling you, listen, you start serving God, there's no telling what kind of situations you'll get in. And you know what's even amazing? Is watching God get you out of them. I'm telling you what, I had no idea what I was doing. I stood there like, what am I doing standing out here? I can't speak this lane. But you know what? I was just sowing. I was just sowing. You never know where it's going to go. Just keep sowing the seed, sowing the seed of the Word of God. Man, we just start putting tracks out everywhere. We put them out in tombs. I tell you, to blow your mind. These Hasidic Jews, ultra-Orthodox Jews, and their idol worship is absolutely unbelievable. They go into these tombs of these dead rabbis. They'll sleep in those tombs with those dead rabbis sometimes, wanting their blessings on them. They'll go in there and pray unto these dead rabbis. There'll be bookshelves inside these old tombs will have prayer books on them, and I'll go in there and put gospel tracts in them. I put New Testaments. I don't put none of the Hope of Israel Bibles in there because I've seen them burn them. But I'll put just paperback New Testaments in there. I've watched them. I've had them literally coming out in my driveway because we had a couple of famous rabbis buried at the end of our driveway. Coming out in our driveway, burning some of these Bibles in our driveway. My wife told me, she says, whatever you do, you do not witness in our driveway. Because they'll burn our house down. I mean, it was, it, they're crazy. They get crazy. But I mean, they would, you'd see that happen. But you know what else I've seen them do? I've seen them walk out of there with the New Testament, reading yeah. it. I've seen them walk out of there ripping up gospel tracts. I've seen them walking out of there reading. I'd sit there in my window watching I mean, they were right there, you know. I mean, you'd see them all through the night coming in and out of there. I mean, listen, what are you doing? You're just sowing the seed. We'd go through Safat. We live right next to Safat. 20,000 ultra-Orthodox Jews that live there. If you remember back in two years, it was a two years ago, uh, last year. Last year, during the Feast of Lagba Omar, during the spring, uh, when there was 45 ultra-Orthodox Jews who were trampled to death in Israel. That's where we live. 
Those are the areas that we hit. Those are the people that we are reaching and trying to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, all these Hasidic Jews are there. And, and so we would go through in Safat. And Safat's one of those cities like, you know, where, where Paul said, what thou doest do quickly, that's what you better do if you start getting tracks out in there because they will beat the daylights out of you in Safat. I mean, all these religious Jews. We'd go through there and there's bulletin boards by every bus stop. And we'd go through there and put gospel tracts on them. We'd put poster boards. We got one that we do that says why the New Testament is mandatory for all Jews to read. And we've got the gospel on it and a little QR reader where they can scan it. And I mean, you'll see them rip it off. Uh, sometimes they only last a few minutes. Sometimes they last a while. But there's over 100 bus stops in Safat alone. And we'll go through there and just put them out. I remember one time we pulled up the one. I told my son Daniel, I said, jump out. I said, put that, put that on that board. He jumps out and he's over there and the wind's blowing. He's trying to staple that thing up and the wind flops it down over on top of his head. And this ultra-Orthodox Jew walking by kind of grabs that poster and holds it up for Daniel. And Daniel looks at me like, what do I do? I said, just hit it. Let's go, man. Come on. You know, he, he stapled that thing on, jumped in the car. He said, what are you doing? We're just sowing. We're just sowing the seed. Just getting that seed out. I'm telling you, everywhere we went. We went back down to, to Kirat Shimona one time. And we went up to the, to the shook, to the market. And I remember going up to the market. And I, and I looked up and there's that rabbi that was on that three-wheeler scooter. Yeah. And I saw him. He about 20, 30 yards away. And I told that guy with me. I said, look, there's that rabbi. And he goes, he goes shalom, shalom. And that rabbi goes, oh, shalom, shalom. And, and so we start walking to him. Well, then that rabbi recognizes us. And he starts starting that scooter trying to get out, and he's yelling at us, you know. And, and, man, we kept trying to get, he wouldn't take it. You know, every time we have saw him, he's not taking a track yet. But you see, my responsibility is to sow. Some seed fell by the wayside. Some seed will fall by the wayside. I'm telling you, we were down, in, down right at the valley of Elah where David killed Goliath. And, and uh, there's a little uh, convenience store right there next to this Moshav. It's, a, it's like a little farming community. And uh, we stopped in there to eat lunch. And I remember walking up to the guy behind the counter. And, and, and I tried to give him a track. And the guy looked at it. And, and, and he starts getting just, I mean, he's not religious at all, you could tell. And the guy gets all spiritual all of a sudden. And he starts yelling at me and how I'm offending him and how dare I. And this is terrible. And all of a sudden, this ultra-Orthodox Jew comes walking. I mean, he's ultra-Orthodox. You know, got the big black hat, everything. He comes walking up, and, and we looked over at him. We says, uh, uh, asked him in Hebrew, have you ever read the New Testament? And he says, no. We said, well, let me show you here. And we took the Hebrew Bible, just the Old Testament, took it over to the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah 31, 31, he says, and he says there, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. And I said, you, you've never read that? And he goes, no. We took out one of those Hope of Israel New Testaments. We said, this is it. And he looked at it, and we said, you can have it. And he goes, Toda Rabbah, thank you very much. And he took that Bible. You should have seen the guy behind the counter. He's sitting there like, I cannot believe this ultra-Orthodox Jew just took that New Testament from you. Some seed fell by the wayside. But not all of it did. You just sow that seed. You just keep sowing that seed. You never know where it's going to go. I'm telling you, listen, we've, I remember one time I had a pastor from Texas out visiting. I was giving him a tour. We do a lot of tours in Israel as well. And I, and I had him over and I was taking him around. And as we go around on these tours, we pass out tracks. And I remember that morning, Brother Merrill got up and he, we were praying together. And I remember specifically him praying this. He says, Lord, help us to find somebody today who wants to know truth. 
Boy, we were out throughout the day visiting sites again. We're putting out tracks, giving tracks out to people. And we go up on the top of Mount Tabor. And here we are at the top of Mount Tabor. And it's, it's a Christian monastery up there. And so you don't really see that much Jews up there. We go to get back in the car to drive down. It's a horrible hill. I mean, just horrible driving down. Well, this guy runs up to me and he goes, hey, can I get a ride? I said, sure, sure. And all of a sudden, another guy comes running up with him, was hiding, waiting to see if he could get the ride. And so he jumps in the car. And, and I said, hey, are, y- are y'all Christians? He says, no, 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 we're we're, we're both Jewish. We're IDF soldiers. I said, oh, really? He said, are you Christians? And we said, yes, we are. So we're both Baptist preachers. He said, really? He said, can I ask you some questions? I said, sure. He said, I've been reading about Christianity. He said, I was reading that Christians believe in something called the rapture. Do you believe that? We said, oh, yeah, yeah, we believe it. He goes, could you explain it? I looked at that other preacher, and he was like, oh, you're kidding me, man. He just jumped all over him, you know, started explaining it to him. And he, he started asking questions like that. I remember one of them, he said, I, I read that Christians believe that you've got to be born again. He goes, do you believe that? I said, yeah. He said, could you explain it? And I, no, I can't explain that to you. That's, that's private. You know, no, of course not. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. What? We got down to the bottom of the hill. He said, you can let me out right here. I thought, here's what I thought in my mind. Buddy, we've been praying for you. You ain't getting out of here. I'm sorry, you are stuck in my car. And uh, I didn't say that to him. I said, where are you going? I said, I'll give you a ride. He goes, oh, no, it's, I'm going down to this kibbutz. And I'm like, no, we got plenty of time. We got nothing else to do. Man, we took him down there. We're sitting in the car for another 45 minutes sitting there at that bus stop. And, I mean, I start taking that Hebrew Bible and going through verse by verse, showing him prophecies. And, I mean, he's sitting, his name is Amit. And Amit was sitting there going, wow, never seen this before. And I remember him saying this, I want to know truth. I thought, man, that's exactly what he prayed this morning. Help us to find somebody that wants to know truth. You see, some seed falls by the wayside. Not all of it does. You just keep sowing that seed, sowing that seed. I'm running out of time. But just keep sowing the seed. You never know where that ground is going to be like. We had a guy contact us, and I'll close with this one, up in uh, Matula, which is the town right above Kirat Shimona. And we, uh, we got up there, and... The guy we were talking to just mocked and blasphemed the whole time. We had a new convert that was with us, and Lior was so excited. He says, wow, he goes, finally somebody that's wanting to listen. And we're walking out to the car after talking to this guy, and he says, nobody wants to hear. He was so discouraged. And all of a sudden, these two guys come walking by. I was getting behind the driver's seat, and the other guy handed them both a track, and he motioned for me. He said, come here. So I jumped out of the car and walked over, and he goes, tell him what happened to you. I said, you speak English? He says, yeah. I said, I got born again. He said, you got what? I said, I got born again. For the next 15 minutes, I started going through the Old Testament explaining what salvation was. When I got through, the other guy asked him, he said, have you ever heard anything like this? He says, not like that. I said, you speak good English. I said, where are you from? I could tell he was originally from America. And he goes, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. He said, I made Aliyah 10 years ago. He said, I ain't never heard nothing like that. Not like that. He came down to our Tuesday night service. We're meeting around the kitchen table. I'm preaching out of Philippians chapter 1. And you watched him sit there just broken. And I'm telling you, he's weeping. I let that new Israeli convert take the Bible and show him how to know Jesus. And he got gloriously saved. You see, some seed fell by the wayside. But not all of it did. Not all of it. Where you sow that seed, you have no idea. I could go on and on. I read this statement one time, and what an impact it made on me. We can count the seeds in an apple, but God can count the apples in a seed. 
We can cut open an apple and count all the seeds that's in it. But God could take one of those tracks. And God knows what it's going to do. We have no idea. You see, it's not equal giving. It's equal sacrifice. You may not be able to give like the person beside you gives. It's not equal giving. But it's equal sacrifice. You may not be able to give the same amount as the person beside you. But you can give the same value. You can give it all. Here's my life. Take my life. Just being a willing vessel. Are you willing today? Lord, have your willing way. Father, we love you. I pray you'd have your willing way this invitation. Let's stand if you would. And this altar's open if you need to come. Why don't you come today? Are you willing? Are you willing to give it all? Here's my life. I made that statement. If God could take me, and I kid you not, if he could take me, he could take anybody. He just needs somebody that's willing. I remember when God first opened those doors in the synagogue in Atlanta. I was going to Bible college there in Resaca. Just started. I was terrible in school. I didn't get saved till I was 23. My brother's talking about his testimony of being a drinking alcohol at 13. I started in the sixth grade. Drugs and alcohol. God saved me when I was 23, married, children already. What a drastic change in my life. And I remember starting Bible college, and I thought, Lord, this is more than I can handle. Oh, I was so backwards. And I remember coming home that first night of Bible college and just opened a door in a synagogue and sitting in that synagogue among doctors and lawyers and judges and I thought, Lord, I'm just nobody. But I pulled that car over on the side of the road that night, and I said, God, I ain't got nothing to give you. But everything I got, I give it to you. If you'll just take my life, here it is. He's just looking for somebody willing. Somebody that's willing, are you willing today? Surrender all.